We are continuing our work through the Gospel of John with that framing question, who is this Jesus that this Gospel is seeking to reveal to us? And we are bringing to a conclusion uh, our study of chapter 6 this morning. So if you want to open up in your pew Bibles to page number 1060, we will be reading chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. The words will also be on the screen behind me. Again, from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, verses 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said... This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as has been highlighted, and as a few of my Sunday schoolers confessed, today is Mother's Day, and they forgot about it. But hopefully by now, you've had all of your reminders that are necessary. But it's one of those days where we do what we should more often do. And that is to show our appreciation for our mothers. Our mothers, as we heard these two boys tell, uh, they do a lot to support us, to love us, to encourage us, and to sustain us. And that's why, quite frankly, we need days like today. Days to remind us to do what we should often and always be doing. And showing that appreciation for the work that we often take for granted. And yet, I would guess that even today... Maybe especially today, there will be a circumstance in at least some of our homes where our mothers will think and possibly say to their children, after being requesting them to do something and being ignored once again, for all, after all of the things that I do for you, why can't you just and fill in the blank? Why can't you just pick up after yourself? Why can't you stop hitting your brother? Why can't you pick up your towel after you take your bath? 
Because of all of the things that they do, they get frustrated when they see that response not being replied to. Well, that connects, I think, in some ways to where we are in chapter 6 of John. But before we, I get into what we just read, let me start by reminding you of a couple of the things that I tried to highlight in the first sermon on John chapter 6 that we preached two weeks ago. First of all, let me remind you of the fact that as I said then, even though we preached three different sermons on this chapter, we should try to see this whole chapter communicating and conveying one united message. And we can't forget the context all the way back at the beginning of the chapter to where we are right now. And hopefully you'll remember and continue to see some of those parallels. Second, I also wanted to start by reminding you of my opening to that first sermon. And in fact, I'm going to re-preach the first few paragraphs that I preached back then. Then I started with that idea of saying that I worry that sometimes when we hear messages preached and applied to our lives... When we read through the Ten Commandments, when we read certain things in Scripture, if we're honest, sometimes our reaction to what we hear and the challenges that we are presented with are, well, that's impossible. You know, I can never tell a lie. I can't covet what others have. That's impossible. I can't ever get drunk. I have to wait until I marry and I have to kick this addiction or this idol out of my life. That is impossible. There is no way that I can do that. And then I said, and it's that kind of thinking that often leads to lifestyles where we excuse sin, where we let things go that shouldn't be let go because we just think we can't do it. It's impossible. And I started there because, again, setting that broader context, after we, uh, when we start in chapter 6, what we see is Jesus doing the impossible. We see Jesus feeding this large crowd of 5,000 men and probably many more women and children around him who were hungry with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Immediately after, we see Jesus follow after his disciples who had gone into a boat and gone halfway across the Sea of Galilee, and he walked on water out to them. Two actions that literally fall into that category of absolutely humanly impossible, demonstrating as signs who Jesus was as the God who still maintained power and control over the universe. Well, the people that had gotten a taste of that food wanted more. They wanted more of that food. They wanted more of the healings and the miracles that they were seeing Jesus perform. They wanted more of his teachings. They wanted more of Jesus, so much more that they were ready to take him by force and to make them their king. Because especially if this was how he was going to rule, how he was going to care for them by feeding them and and healing them, then that's the kind of leader that they would love to have. He was going going to take care of them. Like all of us, what they wanted was an easy life. And they all saw that maybe Jesus 
was going to be the path toward that easier life. And so as we learned last week, after Jesus slips away and then walks across the lake, they hunted Jesus down and asked for more of what he was giving But instead of meeting their demands, Jesus taught them about the fact that the bread that they should be looking for was not the bread that perishes, but the bread of eternal life, which was him. As summarized in one commentary, he claimed that he was greater than Moses, that he had come down from heaven to bring life to all who believe, and that by eating his flesh and drinking his blood, a person could live forever. And listening to this led the crowd, as we see in verse 60 of our text, some of the people who had called themselves disciples of Jesus. Again, not the the 12 close group that we associate as disciples, but a a broader group of people who were starting to follow after him and and serve him and, and thinking at least of giving their life in response to him to ask that big question that we've been asking through this sermon series, who is this Jesus? And to rethink their answer. When they had seen him do the miracles and, and feed them in this miraculously, in miraculous way, they thought they had it figured out. He was the one that was going to be like Moses. How the people of Israel had been fed and nurtured and protected in their wandering in the desert for 40 years. Here was a person that was going to feed and protect them. They thought he was going to be like David. This great king who had led them into the expanse and the development of their nation, expanding its borders, defeating its enemies, and allowing them to again be glorious as a nation and to reassert their own autonomy and rule in the region. They wanted a king. They wanted glory. They wanted their physical needs met. However, As the commentary uh, written by D.A. Carson suggests, what the people wanted, Jesus wasn't going to give to them. And what Jesus was offering, the people refused to receive. And because of that, when they caught up with him and asked, who is this Jesus that wants them to eat his flesh? And drink his blood. And talks about coming down from heaven. They think. This guy must be crazy. He's got to be delusional. To be saying these kinds of ridiculous things about himself. Which is why. The start of our text. It says that they were saying to him. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And like the Israelites that had been led out of Egypt, they'd seen all of the ten plagues poured out against the Egyptians and then walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. When they got to the other side, they grumbled against God, wanting to go back. This crowd grumbles against Jesus. And then in verse 66, we learn that after this, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer walked with him. How sad. Jesus. 
the Son of God was literally right there in front of them. They had eaten miraculous food. They had seen with their own eyes miraculous healings. They had heard him teach with authority, but it wasn't enough for them. It was too hard. And so they walked away. Now, let's be a little sympathetic. Because what Jesus was saying was a hard thing. Not just to hear, but to understand. I'll quote another commentator, R.C. Sproul, who highlights that fact that saying, you know, we today have the privilege of having these words written out for us. And so we can go back and read them and reread them. And, and we have the privilege of knowing the end of the story, where all of this was leading to and, and where it was going with Jesus's sacrifice, his death and his resurrection. Furthermore, we have all of these many years now of people that have studied these words with us, great scholars who delve into these things, and yet all of them, when you read their words and study things, they don't even agree fully on what it was that Jesus was saying. And so it is hard for us to understand, let alone them who are hearing it from the very first time. It takes faith. Which, as we learned last week and is reiterated in our text for this morning, is a necessary gift of the Father. Because if we are looking for a God who will give us what we want, what our flesh desires, then we won't ever be able to find it. Only if the Father opens our eyes will we be able to see the God who gives us what we need. But even in that sympathy, I couldn't help but wonder, when these people leave, where did they go? When you walk away from the miracle worker, where else do you turn? Most probably went back to their systems of religion where they were trying to save themselves through good work and faithful obedience. Some probably returned to idols, whether literal false gods and false religions or to the idols of the, the weapons of war and the uh, numbing sins that could help distract them or else give them something to fight for. Most just probably returned to their mundane, ordinary lives of routine. But in the end, you have to recognize what they were doing was returning to the grave. And it's pretty amazing to watch throughout the chapter. The chapter starts with this huge crowd of, again, 5,000 men at least, with probably many thousand more women and children along with them, all gathering around, hungry to hear from Jesus. And part of that crowd probably diminished when Jesus went to the other side of the lake. And then it got narrower and narrower when some of the disciples started to walk away. Which is why in verse 67, when Jesus turns to the twelve, we can't help but wonder if there were many more than just those twelve left. The more offensive Jesus became to these people, 
the more that he refused to be the Savior that they wanted him to be, the more their unbelief became visible. And in witnessing this great decline and and looking at the 12 that Jesus had picked to follow him, he turned to them and he asks this very loaded question. Do you want to go away as well? What about you? You see all these other people walking. Are you going to walk away? Or are you going to walk with me? And this becomes a pretty critical point in the book of John. Having seen all that they had seen and heard all that they had heard, where did these 12 disciples stand in terms of that question, who is this Jesus? Did they get it yet? And clearly, they didn't get it all. And clearly, They didn't all get it, but they understood enough. They had seen enough to understand for Peter to be able to represent them and say, we know that you are the Holy One of God. A bold claim to that answer of who is this Jesus, identifying him as the divine Son of God. And they had seen enough to know what was at stake in the question that Jesus was asking. Yes, the sayings were hard. And it was difficult to figure this all out. But they trusted that what Jesus was teaching was right. They knew he had the words to eternal life. And that was what was at stake in this question if we, if they were to be if they were to walk away they would be walking away from life which is why peter started with his own question in reply to jesus to whom else shall we go the remaining disciples knew enough to know that there was nowhere else to go No one else could do or say the things that Jesus had done or said. No one else but the Holy One of God could walk on water, could feed 5,000, or tell a man who had been lame for 38 years, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Who could convert a whole town of Samaritans, who could turn water into wine. There was nowhere else to go, and so they continued to walk with Jesus, and they would until it got too hard for them as well. But that's only what our text begins to allude to about where this is all headed. But before we get there, I think this is a good point where we start to turn our attention back to ourselves and listening and, and seeking uh, and, and seeing these disciples and how they responded back then. It helps us to figure out, well, what does it mean for us to be disciples today? Because as I suggested in the introduction to my first sermon and on this chapter, there are times when following Jesus is not just hard, but it seems almost impossible for us 
And though he had done the impossible for them and has done the impossible for us, there are times when we say, well, I don't know if I can go that far with you. And in honesty, and even in a bit of sympathy, when I think about that, that usually falls into into three different categories where we have that struggle. The first category where we struggle to follow Jesus is, is morally. By that, I mean all of those things I mentioned at the start of the message. We like to follow Jesus when we, when we get these nice feels at worship, when we're all together and we're, we're singing and it just is wonderful to be in this community. We like to follow Jesus when we find the benefits of the church and feel supported and loved and encouraged and socialized together and find meaning and community in this. But when we come up against the moral demands of the gospel... When we are called to sacrifice our fleshly desires, when we have to repent of sinful actions, when we are called to demonstrate our love for Jesus by obedience to his commandments, when following Jesus means that we have to look different and stand out in the world, too often the response of a disciple is to say, that's too much. That teaching is too hard. That, that takes too much of my time. Too much of my money. Too much of my effort and my energy. Too much of my own denial. I can't do that. I won't do that. And while they still might show up to church on Sunday mornings. Still take advantage of those things that we like. In reality... They have turned their back on the way of disciple and have said, I know Jesus might have done everything for me, but I'm not willing to fill in the blank in order to follow him. And instead, we return to those idols that make us feel nice. That make life feel easier or more comfortable. That don't ask as much of us. And in the moral realm, we often feel like God is asking too much of us. And in that, that's too hard. The choice is to walk away. Another area where this can happen is intellectually. This seems to be the area that most of the people in our text were struggling with. We see enough to know that Jesus is special. He's certainly different. He's doing incredible things. However, in recognizing that, we've got a lot of questions. How does God take on human flesh? Does it make sense that Jesus was both human and divine? And how do you handle that when you say that Jesus was God and yet he died on a cross? We have questions because God is hard to understand. And if we could understand him, as we have said in a few of our evening sermons as of late, then he wouldn't be God. But in that, there are those that get stuck. 
They get stuck thinking that until or unless they can figure it all out or more truthfully until and unless God can justify himself to them that all of their questions can be satisfied, they think it's too hard. It's too much. And they're not going to surrender those questions and their struggles and move forward in faith. And so they'll walk away because they still have questions. However, as our text suggests, you don't have to know it all to be, or be able to explain it all. You just need to know enough. Enough of who Jesus truly is and what is at stake. Again, the will of the Father is believing in the one he sent which means that you tr- your trust isn't in your ability to understand, your intellectual ability to lay it all out and explain it, but instead your trust is in him. And you're willing to say, though I may not understand, I will follow. So ask the questions. Look for answers, but humbly accept that your simple mind will not ever be able to explain it all or understand it all. Some wrestled intellectually. They did then and they do today. And because of that, many walk away. And finally, I think we struggle experientially. I know that's not a great term, but the best that I could come up with. But this is where our struggles aren't with the question, well, who Jesus is, but our struggles is with what God and Jesus are doing. In our text, many assumed they knew the promises of the Old Testament meant that the Messiah was going to come. They assumed that he would take up the sword and he would once again rule with power and might and authority just as they had seen King David do so long ago. And so, when Jesus refused to be that king, they couldn't understand. And in similar ways, we in a broken world can assume Well, that means that God is going to look out for us. God wants us to be happy. God wants to bless us. If we trust in him, God will always answer all of our prayers the way that we want them to be answered. But then, when instead of blessings, we experience pain, when instead of happiness, our days are filled with heartache, When our most desperate of prayers go unanswered in the way that we want, our diseases not healed, our problems not disappearing, and the impossible doesn't happen for us, we wonder, well, what is God up to? And if people can't reconcile what they wanted from God with what they're getting in their lives, They struggle. And many say, it's too hard. Unless, God, you act the way that I want you to act, I can't believe that you are God at all. And again, in struggling, some walk away. 
But that leads to Peter's question, where do they go? If Jesus isn't the answer, where do we look? And again, some create systems where they think that they can fix the problem of sin ourselves. Not willing to trust Jesus, they try to trust themselves more. And so false religions are created of works and effort. Or we turn to our idols that make life easier and make us happier. That the apps on our phone that distract us or the chemicals that numb our minds so we don't even have to think about these things. We go toward those things that we think will give us more satisfactory answers. We look to politicians who say, I'll be the one to make your life easier or better. Or we turn to science and say, well, there are more satisfactory answers. Or we just put down our heads and we return to and keep living these mundane lives. But as the world has proven over and over again, those things cannot and will not provide the answers that we are looking for. And those things certainly don't point us to eternal life, the life that Jesus came to give us. And so, yes, let's be honest, it can be hard to walk with Jesus. He will ask hard things of us. There will be hard questions that we may not be able to answer. And he will do things in our lives that at the time we do not and maybe never will understand what he is up to. But to whom will you go? Instead of walking away when it gets too hard for us, the invitation is to trust. To believe the promise that we heard Jesus say last week, quoting it again, that this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The invitation is to believe, to eat the flesh, and to drink the blood of him who died for our sins. So the question is, do you want to walk away too? Where are, where will you put your trust? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, in our sin and in our human arrogance, we confess that there are things that we want to control. There are things that we want to do. And there are ways that we think you must act. And all of that arrogance and pride often gets in the way of your wise, faithful plan. And there are things that you ask of us that in our sin we think are too hard to do. There are questions that we have that may be too difficult for us to answer. And there are experiences that we have in our life that though they don't make sense to us and though they are hard, 
we know that you have promised that you will work all things to the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purposes. Lord, I pray that for everyone here this morning and everyone who hears my voice, whether here or online today or in the future, Lord, that all would look to you and what they would do is believe in your name. And that while we recognize there will be challenges and trials and hardships, that in the end what we would do is surrender to you in trust. And we would see that you are the bread of life. And from you we would eat and from you we would find eternal life. Thank you for that gift. And so as we walk in this week and we experience different things and we continue to hear your claim on your life, I pray that our response would humbly and always be, wherever you lead, I will follow you. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.